1: back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson, Did it. Alan Seiler,
2: I forgot to listen for a line of dialogue to use as an intro this week,
1: <laughs> and Veronica Daschle. Hi. All right, so we're going straight into this week in Trek this week, Keith.
3: Yeah, just got a couple of things here that I thought were kind of important. One of them is really far out, which I uh, I thought, one, you know, I, I said this every time I love something that goes back a long time in history, mm-hmm. and this is uh, really relevant, 1912. Oh, wow. wow. Yes, 1912, May 8 saw the premiere of the famous Players Film Company, and I- okay. I know you're probably saying, what the heck is that? That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The famous Players Film Company is considered to be the fifth oldest surviving film studio in the history of the world. And why are they considered to be the fifth oldest film surviving film studio in the history of the world? Because in 1914, they merged with another entity that was called Paramount. Paramount. Wow. So on May 8, 1914. But although the name Paramount came in two years later, and they also merged with a third studio, they all decided to trace the history back to the famous Players Film Company of 1912.
2: Wow. Yeah. Much like the way Marvel traces
3: its history all the way back to Timely Comics. Good point. (laughs) And DC was something else before that, weren't they? I forget there was another name for DC, I Mm. think, at one point. Yeah, good point. So much as I curse Paramount for having to make me do Paramount Plus, that's pretty impressive. Wow. <laughs>
1: they're, they're playing the long game, Keith. They finally got you.
0: <laughs> yeah. They've
2: been playing this game since 1912. They're <laughs> way ahead of
1: us.
0: Yeah, This is going to make me sound like a lot older than I am, but my grandpa <laughs> on my mom's side was born in 1912.
3: Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I wish I could say I was born in 1912 and still looking like I look now. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lifespan of walking Right. <laughs> <laughs> and another one um this is another pretty cool one i thought on uh, 11th of may 1933 and i was going to try to do an impersonation okay i'll do it okay
0: oh they're here they're here oh
2: that's all i know she knows it i know know what that is
0: i know this this is this is kirk's uh sister-in-law I don't know Holy I crap. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I yes.
0: <laughs> it.
3: You go, Veronica. Awesome. Joan uh, Whitley Hill, who played Aurelian Kirk, was born on 11th of May, 1933. And I thought it was incredibly relevant, considering for some reason, Kirk's mustache wearing brother is on the new uh, is on Enterprise mm-hmm. in Stranger Worlds. I'm still trying to work that out. Uh, she did a lot of other stuff. She did some Bond movies and stuff like that and some beach movies and so forth, but I'll always remember her unfortunately as the scream when they first found her mm-hmm. and the death scene in Sick Bay, which yep. was and also it's a really weird show because it ended with one of those standard jokes. And Kirk's <laughs> brother and sister-in-law had died, and his nephew is an orphan. Mm-hmm. And they were joking about Spock getting his eyesight back. So,
1: right. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Another weird one. Okay, real quick, two more. 12th of May, and I know you guys will know this one. 1935 was the birthday of Peter Allen Fields. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Veronica's looking like, huh? Who's Peter, Peter Allen Fields?
0: I recognize the name.
3: <laughs> he was a writer and a script producer and a producer for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And he wrote some famous episodes that I know you know uh, are familiar with. He is. He was one of the writers of Half a Life, which is the one where Loxana fell in love with the guy who lived on a planet where they made you commit suicide at age 60 so that you didn't become a burden on society.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that episode.
3: One of the better Lwaxana episodes because she was serious in the ep- and wasn't goofing around. He also was one of the writers of The Inner Light,
1: mm-hmm. for
3: which he won an, a Hugo Award. And then over on DS9, he wrote the episodes Dax, mm-hmm. Duet which is a famous one mm-hmm. and for the uniform as well as in the pale moonlight. Well, so nice. He's, yeah. He's got some great credit. And the last one I got, which I guess I, I was, I have to say this one, but on, uh, gosh, where'd it, go? where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Sorry, guys. Um, whoops. I think I just lost it. Oh, there it is. So you're going to leave in the part where he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Also, the 11th of May, uh, no, I, I, this one I did want to do. 11th of May, 2001 was when the new series Enterprise was announced. And the big thing about that announcement was Scott Bakula was mm-hmm. announced as being the next captain of yep. the first Enterprise. And that was a big thing. I'm not a Quantum Leap fan, but for those who loved Quantum Leap, that was a huge, huge, huge bit of news. I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, And one last one, 8th of May, 19, uh, no, 8th of May, 2009 was the premiere in the United States of Star Trek, what we now call Star Trek 09. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Also relevant. And that is This Week in Trek History. Cool. Thanks for that.
1: We'll take a quick break from a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we get back, we'll get into our discussion topics. So stay right there.
0: Patreon.com backslash ESO network.
2: Last week, we had the premiere of Strange New Worlds. And in it, we saw a little scene of T'Pring and Spock out on a date out on the town, painting the town red. It was the whole scenery was red. <laughs> and. Um, You know, he was kind of like sitting there real antsy, like, is she going to ask me or is she not going to ask me? And finally, she pops the question and he says in his deadpan manner, I was beginning to think you would never ask. So I started thinking about Vulcan romance, about courtship, about marriage, about partnership. And uh, some of the examples that we've seen over the many, many years of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of begs the question, purely emotional beings who, you know, make a practice of suppressing their emotions. What does love mean to them? Mm -hmm. What does partnership mean? What logical purpose does it have? And of course, you know, we go back to the original series where I forget which character asks um, Sarek. So why did you marry you know, this human woman. And he says at the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. That was far. All right. So it's podcast.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was just curious to know what you guys think about um, Vulcans, you know, their, their, their sexual nature. You know, we know about Ponfar. We know about the seven year cycle. We know about the finger sex, but <laughs> you know, what, what role does this play in a Vulcans life? Mm. So who wants
3: to lead it off?
0: I don't Think it plays a huge role at all.
3: You don't think so? No. Well, we don't know. And I think that's the, and I think the weird, I'm still trying to, and I'm not saying I don't like it, but I'm still trying to get used to the fact that Spock and Depring were kissing and kissing mm-hmm. in public because you never see Vulcans really kiss. And also seeing them kiss in public such that the waiter had to say, take it home.
1: <laughs> get
2: a room.
3: and Well, that's because yeah, it was
2: closing room. time and he was like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I got to sweep the floors and close up
3: shop. I think the one thing that I always remember is that Vulcans are not lacking in emotion, they just to control right. their mm-hmm. emotions. Exactly. And it could be that we see Vulcans do things such as when they fight, they're incredibly efficient fighters. When they do something, they do it with with gusto even though they don't have emotion. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're I don't, I don't what's going that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Holy I can cow. see <laughs> I can see sex for Vulcans being a place where maybe, especially because it's in private, I can see where maybe they let a little bit more of that emotion now than, mm-hmm. than people. I maybe. would imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, since Vulcans are telepathic, I could see that. Um, I'm going to do a reference in Babylon Five. There was a character who was, uh, gosh, it was, um, she was. Uh, uh, I forget her name. She was a blonde telepath in the first couple of series uh, seasons of Babylon 5. Oh, uh, Talia Shire? Yeah, she was a, she was a one part of the Psychor. I, I may and, have gotten the
2: name wrong. It's Talia something. Anyway.
3: Yeah, right. And she fell in love with another telepath who his powers expanded so much he basically turned it to the energy. But she talked to Commander Sheridan about them being lovers. And she said, do you know what it's like when two telepaths make love? Because basically each person is in the other person's mind. So you feel your mm-hmm. pleasure and you feel their pleasure. And I could imagine that Vulcan. Hopefully, and I, and I, yeah, yeah I'm talking. I can imagine that Vulcans' intimacy could be pretty, pretty intense if they really care for each other.
1: Yeah. yeah, The original version of Ponfar was that the male has to go through this every seventh year, right? Right. Uh, it's been right. retconned a few times since then, and you don't have to go back to Vulcan now. You can go to a holodeck or whatever, you, right. and, and women go through it too. But Vulcans can have sex whenever they want. Of course, Absolutely. you know. And, and, and you might argue that, you know, if you annoying biological urges are distracting you, it's logical to, you know, curb that.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. So I'm not like one of the
2: media tie in kind of reader. So, you know, I've never read a lot of the Star Trek novels and stuff. So has any of those things ever explored how Ponfar developed, like what like how it was part of the Vulcan. I mean, I don't know that we know that Romulans go through it. Mm-mm. So how did this develop and when did this develop
3: in in Vulcans? In the book stocks World, I believe. Oh. The book Spock's World does, t- it does three prehistory things. It talks about early Vulcan hominids, probably similar to what we would have been a million years ago when we were ape-like creatures. And it talks about three things. It talks about how there is some entity in Mount Celea that seems to be intelligent and almost did something on the early pre hominid Vulcans like the monolith did to the eight creatures in 2001. Mm. And it seemed to have be something that guides the Vulcans and maybe even gave them their sentence. The second thing that book talks about is that there was a solar coronal mass ejection on Vulcan sun that hit the planet which is why the planet is a desert planet. It used to be a lush garden planet. Interesting. And the third thing, when they talked about this, is they called, they talked about this one creature who was there when the, the, the coronal mass ejection hit the planet. They said that he was go- undergoing the rapture, which okay. was, or something they call okay. it. The ra- it was I the rapture, I forget the name. But basically, <laughs> no. a million years or so ago, Vulcans, they had this mating urge already in them. So Mm. it's something that's been part of them since for eons, evidently.
1: Yeah. If that was the case, I would expect Romulans to have it, too, because there wasn't millions of years ago in Romulans. But I've never I mean, I don't think we've ever seen evidence that the Romulans go through bonfire.
2: Yeah. Maybe it's because Romulans do embrace their emotions and don't have that uh, that restraint that they place upon themselves. Whereas Vulcans go through that cycle where that that just massive ejection, as Keith says, <laughs> happens.
3: Oh, that's what the laugh was about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's ejection. <laughs> I can't work. This is clinging on the Apple, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now we are it.
3: That makes a good point because depending on the history, Romulans are as much as 5,000 years removed from the Vulcan and, and as recent as a few centuries, but that's still not long enough for their, their biology to change. Mm. But actually, I agree with that. If they're, if they're basically having their emotions all the time, they may still go through it, but it may not be as intense as it is mm. for Vulcan. yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, hmm. yeah. I
3: like
1: that. We were just re-watching Amok Time, and yes. people have always assumed, for, come from Amok Time, is that Spock and T'Pring were bonded as children. And then when the time comes, they're both drawn to the Kuna Cali fee. Right. Now we're seeing in strange new worlds that there are steps in between there. You know, like Spock never outright said, I haven't seen her since I was seven years old. But he gave sort of the what happened at seven and what happens now. But then we see there's this um, sort of intermediate steps where um, the female is proposing to the male. At least right. Seems like that's the tradition.
3: Is that what they're saying it is? Because yeah, I was a little confused about that, too. Because- yeah, I was a little
0: confused if they were like bonded at seven. Then how would she ask him to marry her at whatever age they were? Well, at? Well,
2: I mean, even if they're bonded, they're not married. Mm-hmm. So there still sh- could should be a question at some point. Well, and, and I'm
1: sure they could break the bonding if they wanted to Yeah, go against tradition. I mean, even in a mock time, though, it was he introduced her first as his wife and then said, well, not quite my wife. And then they're about to get married. And then she was like, um, you know, the only way I could get a divorce was to not get married to you. You know, like it was it yeah. is, their terms don't quite line up with our terms, yeah. but yeah. it's an alien planet. So you
3: wouldn't yeah. have to, so, you know. So a strange new world saying, therefore, that when Spock went through the Ponfar years later in the time of Kirk, that then they would have gotten married one way or the other. But uh, strange, in the world seems to be saying she was saying, "Well, we don't have to wait for that. We can just go ahead and get married now because it seems well, like that."
1: We don't have all the information yet. It seemed like she was continuing the process towards. Mm-hmm. I would assume the Kuna de Cali fee, the marriage or challenge, is like the final ceremony.
3: So but maybe
1: Vulcans are very ritualistic. So there could be, you know, a, a seven years previous there could have been a ceremony mm-hmm. of some kind. You know, because I mean, if it's every seventh year of the adult of an adult's life. I mean, how old was Spock? Like thirty-seven years old
3: yeah you know like he like that. should
1: he should have had ponfards before
3: well mm-hmm. according now. to this new series we're going to see that because i wow. think there was something about that coming up i saw one of the looks traders. like it and also to the credit in um the search for spark he went through ponfar mm-hmm. when he was a teenager yeah that's true yeah
0: um, yeah seven fourteen twenty one twenty eight thirty five good math Look, I can count
3: by sevens. <laughs> one thing, one thing I think interesting about this Alan, when you were talking about the Vulcans, is one thing that's interesting is how often do Vulcans actually? Because again, we know they have emotions. Mm-hmm. How often do Vulcans get to be in love with their partner? Because the other thing that has been established about Vulcans, and and again, these are these are novels and so forth, is and also an enterprise, a series of enterprise. Vulcans do a whole lot of arranged marriage a whole lot, at least if you're of a certain status. And one of the reasons, again reading other material, one of the reasons they do that is Vulcans are very big on ensuring that their race is powerful, you know, biologically powerful. So they they make arrangements with families, not just for power, but they do genetic matches. So that they're you know, because you look at them, they're like warrior monks, people call Vulcans. So <laughs> because they're they're intelligent, they can fight, they send their kids out into the forge at age seven and hope they don't die. <laughs> and they make arranged marriages for not just power, but for, um, I guess, really, you might say, um, eugenics. They they still do yeah. kind of eugen- eugenics breeding. And an enterprise to Paul had been matched to a guy. It doesn't seem like she yeah. was bonded mentally. She was not in love with him. Mm-hmm. And Sarah married a woman that he did love. So there's a question. I wonder how often Vulcans have arranged marriages. And how often Vulcans mate, mate just because they are attracted to another person. Right. With Sarek, I mean,
1: Sybok's mother, Spock said, was, I think, a Vulcan princess. And then upon uh-huh. her death, uh, he says, you know, he and Sybok were raised as brothers. Now, he doesn't say if if he was born before she died. I don't know okay. what the overlap was. I don't know if she uh-huh. was, uh, Sarek's, if Sarek was a widower or if they, you know, divorced and before he met Amanda or, or what? We don't have that information. But mm-hmm. um, Sarek was, he did have a Vulcan wife or at least Cyborg had a Vulcan mother. I guess they never said outright that he was married to that lady. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he could and have been she, out trolling for Vulcan princesses.
3: If she was a princess <laughs> <laughs> and given how wow. important we you know Sarek is, and she was a princess, I would bet that that was an arranged marriage.
1: Yeah, probably so. I mean, Sarek is a very well-to-do family. Yeah. I mean, that they comment on that in a mock time when Tapau mm-hmm. is there officiating at Spock's wedding. You know, and mm, she's like right. Vulcan, you know, like the the top Vulcan. So yeah,
2: another thing about this is that we saw T'Pring ask the question to Spock. The implication being that maybe that's how it's done on Vulcan, yeah. you know, because clearly Spock was waiting for the question to be asked. Uh, I saw, uh, it, and not much, but just a comment or two on various, you know, cesspools of Star Trek fandom on Facebook. <laughs> Where someone, of course, you know, denigrated the whole situation because it undermines, you know, masculinity and blah blah blah. But really, to me, oh, of course, Keith. I mean, this Dude. is Facebook we're talking about. But, <laughs> so it just seems to me that all they're doing is saying Vulcan has a different practice. Mm-hmm. You well, know, there's nothing wrong with a woman asking a man to marry her. I mean,
1: no. what's what's so wrong about that? And Vulcan has always had matriarchies. Yes, exactly. I mean, going back to a muck time with the, the leader who's there is a woman. And right. to bring, he's got all the all the, all the the cards at the wedding. You know, yeah. you see, yeah. I mean, every time we go back to Vulcan in the movies, whether it's a motion picture, whether it's Star Trek three is a Vulcan priestess, you know, right, right. I mean, that rang true to me. I, I, I 100% agree with that. And plus, it's it, it's different from what we would think of as traditional, at least in the, in the U.S., you know? Yes. So, which makes it uh, a cool thing to do for a sci-fi show. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, I just thought the people who said that were strong yeah. But, you know. <laughs> yes. Agreed.
3: Let me ask a weird question. Uh, given that we know, as you said, Vulcans are not emotionless. They're just mm-hmm. incredibly controlled. Mm-hmm. If you were single... And this were real life possibility. We've talked about this before. Could you see yourself m- being a- married to a Vulcan? No, with the kind of personality stuff they have. No, Veronica's a quick no. Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> why is that? I mean, look, look what I'm married to right now. I mean, like, it would be really boring.
1: <laughs> it would be boring. I think you're right about that.
0: <laughs> it would be very logical and that would be fantastic. And
1: maybe. They uh, would. They
2: would. If if they don't win every argument with you, they will think they've won every argument (laughs) with you, (laughs) because it's logic,
1: right? How
3: about you, (laughs) Alan?
2: Um, I mean, okay. If I were straight, and if the and if the person that I was betrothed to was (laughs) Savic, hell yes. Otherwise, nah. Give me an Andorian any day.
3: Uh, okay. And, <laughs> how about you, Charles? No, I'm good. Interestingly, I think I, I, <laughs> I, think I could. Really? Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm I'm probably as ebullient and, and um, extroverted as you're ever gonna find, but I think that officers attract at work. Yeah, um, that's true. The yeah. The way they, yeah. and also the way I, I really came to like to Paul after watching her all that time on Enterprise.
2: That's true. Yeah.
3: Savic or Tapal,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I would be putty in their hands.
3: Done. Yeah, <laughs> I, think so. I think. I think. It, I think. I think it would be a nice to attract that I could work with. Now, of course, yeah. the fact that he lived be like 220, and I'd probably die at 100 <laughs> would be a problem, but... <laughs> <laughs> You're optimistic, Keith. I was going to say, that's pretty <laughs> ambitious. I,
2: I, I will say that my 100% life plan is that I don't die until I'm 101, so that I can then see the 100th anniversary episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> because,
1: because I am one year older than Doctor Who.
2: Nice. So,
3: awesome.
1: Yeah, so 101, baby. My first thought was that I wouldn't want to live that long with someone who would never laugh at any of my jokes. <laughs> but then the upside is, I think, wow, it's because you're a Vulcan. You know, if you were a human, right, yeah. it'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right. So even if your jokes are crappy. You're right. Perish the thought. You can just say, well, you would laugh if you understood the humor. <laughs> if only you weren't Vulcan
3: right <laughs> yeah of course they got that dry sense of humor so you could always get that one eyebrow charles if you told a joke <laughs> that's, that's right. true
2: because he comes off very straight lace but tuvok is probably the funniest character <laughs> on
3: voyager
1: <laughs> oh i love him so much yeah well, speaking of tuvok i mean what do we think about the retcons they've done to pon to the point that mm-hmm. you, you can go to a holodeck and get an injection or let not,
3: oh my god There <laughs> <laughs> you he go again <laughs> ejections injections
0: oh, baby oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the point that you can go to a holodeck and uh, they'll get hyper spray you, t- to compensate for your um for your pond far, whereas but you know Spock was going to die. He was hijacking the ship, right? Honestly, <laughs> trying to get back to Vulcan. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I don't I, know.
2: That undermines it to me. I didn't yeah.
3: think so too, because yeah. that's just that's just an image. And I thought the whole point was, well, again, you know, pond far is not always about being bonded, but yeah, it's a biological thing. So I would really think you really need real physical contact with another Vulcan, mm-hmm. not just a hologram because now it's all in your mind almost. And I, I, I didn't yeah. care for that. Um, so does it have to be okay?
2: Not to make it too lurid, but does it yeah. have to like, uh, could uh Tuvok and uh, I can't remember the character's name, Jerry Taylor's son who played not Vorik, but oh, Vorik. Yeah. Mm. Could could it have been the two of them? Could Vorik have stood in for a a Vulcan female for Tuvok? Whoa. Whoa. I mm-hmm.
3: don't know. I guess mind be- blown. Yeah. yeah, I guess it depends on what the pun far actually means. Because if exactly. he, exactly, yeah, that's a very good point. Don't know.
1: Something they've never touched on too is I mean, I'm sure there's gay Vulcans. Yeah, you that's know? true. Like we haven't I haven't seen that. I I would wonder how that would work. You know. Yeah. I don't know if the society even allows for that. That'd be something to be worth exploring on the show. That would be it's very interesting. interesting. That would be amazing yeah. for a different well, angle on the Vulcans. Yeah.
3: You know, in that case, if it's if it's not a if it's not a heterosexual thing. In that case, then the hologram would work. If it's only a sexual release, then the hologram could work as well, possibly. Unless yeah. you have to have some kind of physical contact and and maybe a, a low level mental bonding, in which case the hologram wouldn't work. Exactly. I, I, I choose to believe, I choose to believe, Alan, that that whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, it would work. I would I choose yeah, I, to believe there's a low-level bonding going on as I well. Agree yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, he says there's,
1: as much in a mock time, they were mentally right. bonded. Yeah, there's and have, there's a that. psychic connection. Yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. So I wonder, because in Amok time, he talked about Vulcans are like salmon having to swim back upstream. Like he has to right. return to Vulcan. Is that because that's where the bonding happened or that's where Topring is? Or does it right. have to be Vulcan? You know? Right. Th- exactly. Is, I mean, it's obviously by Voyager, it doesn't have to be Vulcan, but. Um, right. But on Voyager, it couldn't be Vulcan. That's true. Right. You know, so they had to come up with something. That's true.
3: And again, the question, how much did he consider books canon? But in Spock's world, it was just a biological imperative like a salmon. So they had to mate but they wouldn't necessarily have to go back to Vulcan. And I tend to think, and I always wondered this, I don't think it is, well, we know what T'Pol, I keep going to T'Pol, T'Pol wasn't bonded to a man. She was, she was betrothed to a man, but she wasn't bonded to a man. True. So I don't think everybody gets mentally bonded. Well,
1: also T'Pol was at a time when mind melds were a no-no. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. To the
2: point of, you know, being completely ostracized from society if Mm. you partook. Yeah.
3: So I tend to think that not every Vulcan gets bonded mentally, but Mm -hmm. every Vulcan biologically has to have sex every seven years. We know that, that they have to do that. And, you know, a question I always had, and and, and Charles, you've read a lot more books than I have. What does a Vulcan ship do when they're... (laughs) When the whole crew is... (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, some point. If somebody... Now, again, we don't know if every single Vulcan is mentally bonded to somebody. But if you are on a deep space mission that's going to last, say, only three years with they not send you if you're bonded to somebody back on Vulcan, where you basically need to get back to that one person, mm. um, how does it work on a ship? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. the other, they never talk about it. They have Ponfar rooms or what?
1: <laughs> so I wonder wow. in that case if it would be better to sort of coordinate so not everyone's going to do Ponfar at the same time. Right. Or yeah. it would be better to coordinate so they are and you just pull the ship over. Exactly.
2: <laughs> like,
3: it's pond far Shore shortly, guys. <laughs> Everybody in the back seat. <laughs> I can see them. I would not be opposed to going to Risa. And then
1: <laughs> <laughs> But surely, I mean there's, you know, 10-year deep space missions. Absolutely. And, you know, Vulcans wouldn't be excluded from that. So, um right. I mean, it, is, it would be interesting to see how they would how they would take care of that because I mean especially by Kirk's time when Spock wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. You know what right, I mean? Right. So you don't want any surprise pawn far's going on when you when you can't get back to Vulcan. <laughs> You know? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting how strange the world handles that. Cause I saw like I said, I saw some scenes that looks like it's coming up. Yeah. Um Well, I want uh,
2: now I want a spinoff
1: <laughs> set
2: on Vulcan at the embassy or something, but something that's, that is Vulcan centric. So we do explore these questions about their society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will be so fascinating.
3: Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I, I agree. Cause like I guess I, I, um,
2: I find bonding. that more interesting than the section 31 show.
0: <laughs> yes. We'll just oh, do a spin
1: off with that ship from Wedge Dudge.
3: Yes.
0: Because
1: uh, I love that Vulcan ship on Wedge Dudge. Yes. And, and the Klingon yes. ship. Uh, yeah. And the Lower Decks guys would be right. the right people to, ha- to handle these tough questions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Because I'd like to know, is every single Vulcan betrothed, is that only certain class of Vulcans? Does every single Vulcan mentally bond, which I kind of think doesn't happen. Right. Uh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to see that, too. You know, yeah. some ways the Vulcans remind me of um, the Victorian age in, in Great Britain. The Victorian age is thought of as literally one of the most morally repressed and suppressed periods in human history. <laughs> but not surprisingly, have you ever written literature that came out of the Victorian age? <laughs> it's also got some of the raunchiest literature.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <in history. Yep.
3: laughs> And so I tend to think that behind closed doors, like the country song says, when we get behind closed doors, I think, I think the Vulcans, I think the Vulcans might be a little bit more cut loose than we might think.
2: Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing a a, a dirty limerick in Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: There's there was a play that I learned about in college called "In the Next Room." There's a mm-hmm. sub. There's a subtitle to that that I'm not going to say, but um. It, <coughs> That reminded me of that particular play. It was set in that time period. So, okay. in the next room by Sarah so Rule. Google
1: that, but not while you're at work.
0: No, not while you're at
3: work. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last thing I mentioned in the novelization, again, we can come up the books, in the novelization of The Search for Spock, David and Savick were intimate. Mm. And there was no, it wasn't upon far for her, assuming she, well, she's a, actually she's half Romulan, right? Half Romulan, half does she have romland have vulcan or did they finally establish not on screen own? not right okay. right okay got it but in in her case she and david were lovers and it was not the biggest deal in the world and it was you know there was nothing discussed about that and um she was had been um you know mentored on vulcan at least so i i guess I, i'm still struggling a little bit with the spock and to betrayal in strange new worlds but maybe alan the question you asked is making me think is I don't want to be too rigid with that because we really haven't seen a lot of the behind the scenes with Balkans. So maybe they do start kissing in a restaurant and go home and, you know, yeah. do their thing. Yeah.
1: It would have been funny if they had just put their fingers together, like Sarah and Amanda. And that
3: yes. would have
2: been
1: like, no, 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 not here.
3: <laughs> I
1: I
2: do want to see that happen I to, this I season. Wanna... Next time to is around. I want to see them go through that ritual. Mm-hmm. Me too. The, yeah. the foreplay.
3: Right. yeah i want to keep that because that that's still that's kind of like the vulcan nerve pinch or something neck pinch it's it's cool yeah Yeah. it's a cool sophisticated thing
1: (laughs) all right well let's take a quick break to promote a fellow eso network podcast show and then when we come back we'll be talking about the latest episode of star trek strange new world so stay right there Modern Musicology is a podcast covering topics on rock and pop, ranging mostly from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, with occasional
0: excursions into the 60s and aughts, and even occasionally the 2010s. Anything is fair game. Classic rock, R&B, folk, punk, prog,
1: rap, metal, and way more, with two Americans, one Brit, a ton of fun, and a healthy dose of cynicism. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She always uh, zigs. So I think she's blowing. gonna zag. Say it that's again. Funny.
0: Spoilers.
1: <laughs> okay, good job. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's spoilers for Star Trek Strange New World's Children of the Comet. What did you think?
0: Strange New Worlds is hitting it out of the park.
1: They're I think they're two for two. Yeah. I think they're two for two. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed
3: it.
1: Yeah. All yeah. right. So we've got a we've
2: got a comet heading toward a planet. Mm-hmm. We got a uh, rescue the people and divert the comet. That is like the TNGest plot ever.
0: <laughs>
3: well, then TOS just,
2: as well. I thought TOS because that I mean, happened in TOS as well.
1: I mean, I oh, what a right. great starting point! See, the difference is in TNG, they were debating if they <laughs> should rescue the people or just let the comet kill them. But yes. this is TOS time frame, so they're like, Yeah, we'll just divert the comet. Yeah, we're not interfering.
3: Yeah. That is something that's always puzzled me about the, the, the interpretation of the prime directive, because you're mm-hmm. writing Kirk's time, it wouldn't have been an issue. You mm-hmm. just save them and maybe just don't reveal yourselves yeah. to them. They don't know. I did- TNG, they were gonna let that the episode with Pen Pal, L'Oreal, whatever her name was. Yeah, uh-huh. car was basically saying let the whole planet die. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the prime directive meant that. At least I didn't think it did. And now, by well, Enterprise,
1: they, it was like the other life form might evolve into sentience in a million years. So we shouldn't we shouldn't intervene now. Yeah, <laughs> right. but yeah, TOS, they would just move the comet. So I love that that wasn't even yeah. a debate. They're just like, Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just redirect the comet. But then turned out it's not yeah. just a comet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah there were so
2: many elements of this story that uh that you can trace back to origins in TNG or TOS mm-hmm. uh, and and they just layered all these things into one cohesive plot and I just thought it was yeah I loved it yeah
1: it had its own identity though I didn't it didn't make yeah, like exactly. a knockoff episode oh, like <laughs> no 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 I didn't mean it that way yeah this could have been a Star Trek novel yeah with a title and everything like it's a very sci-fi feel to it yeah yes.
3: absolutely as deep as the final message and well, the, as deep as the final thoughts were, because I thought it was extremely philosophical at the end, mm. my very first note was, holy crap, does Pike have a big, his, his quarters, big set of quarters. Yeah. Oh,
2: quarters. I know. Are I saw you, that in the first
1: week, though. I was like, dude, that's like half the ship. <laughs> yeah, like, is it like mess hall two? He just like commandeered and turned into his quarters.
3: <laughs> We've got a
1: fireplace and a working yes. kitchen and a dinner table. I was it, fascinated by the fact
2: that they're standing around washing dishes.
3: Yeah. Uh, same here. Uh, I
2: loved that. I, yeah. I thought
3: that was such a cool touch. Thought mm-hmm. that was interesting. Yeah. I kind of like it. I remember when I was a kid watching the original series, the thing that I was always missing was even though Kirk and Spock were friends after the really the first season where every now and then you'd see Kirk in the mess hall or, or, or you saw him like throwing that dude in uh, Charlie X, you know, he was, he was in the gym. Mm-hmm. You didn't really get that kind of camaraderie. And then, of course, The Next Generation with Picard, he didn't do a lot. The others did with the poker game. And then by DS9, Cisco sometimes would cook some jambalaya or whatever in his quarters and everybody would come on and hang out. Mm-hmm. So I did kind of like seeing them let their hair down and just kind of relax. And mm-hmm. I like the way that he was trying to get to know Uhura. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it shows he's he's a he's a different type of captain, yeah. which I like. Mm-hmm. And he's folksier,
1: you know. He's yeah, you know, a little more welcoming. You know, it took Picard seven years to join the poker game. <laughs> yeah. and we're in episode two, and Pike's cooking dinner for everybody and inviting yeah. the new set. Right.
3: I thought it was funny when they when they uh when they played to the get the little joke on Uhura with the <laughs> <Yeah>. dress uniforms. <laughs> dress uniform. I thought that was pretty sweet.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I thought this was a, a nice little callback to Enterprise where you saw Archer and basically the the, the core three mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. regularly share meals. Mm. Yes. And and I love that. But this was this was different in that it embraced like a, a lot of the crew, uh, not just bridge officers, not just the the the, the triumvirate, but some lower lower rank people as well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I thought that was really cool. I really enjoyed it, and he apparently makes a practice out of this, mm-hmm. and so everybody's going to get a turn. I think that's really neat. Yeah,
0: I found it really interesting that the the secondary characters that were there, and you weren't like really engaged with them, or none of the the people who were speaking were engaged with them but their personality still came through Mm -hmm. um, and you felt like you knew them. Like, I feel like I know the entire, like, cast of the entire crew, even those little, like, there's the one red-haired guy and Kyle, and I feel like I know them better than I know the Discovery crew. (laughs)
1: oh you don't stop saying that I, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well they do a good job of highlighting the characters yeah and yeah, they've yeah, gone yeah. back to the old format of you get a little bit of all of them yeah, right? yeah. except mbenga he wasn't in this one he but, wasn't in this one which but, was weird but then you have the episodes that highlight them like the old days it'd be the crusher episode or the wharf episode exactly. that week exactly they're doing the same thing we got more backstory on uhura than we've gotten in the last 55 years <laughs> yeah in right. this episode yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love not only that it focused on her, but that it set that tone for we the, one of the first things that we learned about Uhura in the original series was that she loves music, that she mm-hmm. loves to sing and she has a beautiful voice. And I love seeing this episode sort of not only acknowledge that, but make it a story point. Oh, yeah. I can't mm-hmm. believe God, I, I love
3: that. So much. I can't believe I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one who's saying where my heart is. <laughs> i would have thought beyond Antares. yeah <laughs> and um yeah that was the one who was singing in uh, charlie x uh, yeah. charlie's our new dolly our yeah. international our inter was interstellar astronaut <laughs> yeah and then the one that no man <laughs> drained her brain
1: right yeah i mean it, i love those early episodes of tos when uhura would yes. sing in the mess hall exactly and that's, it's that's just part of her character so I mean, I, we got to see Uhura's beaming down for her first landing party in this yeah. one, and I yeah. thought it was a really cool adventure and, and very well suited to her. I thought yeah. the music was a nice twist yes. on it. And Alan, you know more, yeah. more about music than I do. I mean, how did how did the music stuff hold up for you? Oh, I I loved it. I thought that
2: uh, having a uh, what I, I don't know what an entity will say mm-hmm. that communicates musically, I thought was so neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that uh, having that sort of like that aspect of Uhura being brought to the forefront in this episode and, and having other people like, so you you like to sing. And what does that mean when you sing? Does that make you know, I just thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved I love the scenes of her, like almost like uh, um, the oldest piece of music well written piece of music in in recorded history is from 1400 B.C. It is, oh God, I can't remember the name of it, but basically it's in cuneiform and uh, there's still debate about how it would have actually sounded. There are modern instrument recordings of it based on different um, archaeologists, like interpretations of what, because cuneiform is, is pretty well understood as far as an alphabet, but how does that alphabet relate to musical notation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I found so fascinating in this episode, was that ex- exactly what Uhura was having to do when she finally realized, maybe this stuff is notation. Maybe this isn't, you know, a, a, a spoken language or a written language. And that was the key to understanding mm-hmm.
3: the, I just thought it was so fascinating. Yeah. yeah, which is, which is a throwback. What Charles is talking about similar themes, which is a throwback to the O.S. episode, the Paradise Syndrome. That's what I thought of, Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's for Spock to, um, to for Spock to activate the uh, Obelisk, it it turned out to be musical as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, which is is great. A little bit of world building that they didn't even yeah. connect the dots on that, but you can yeah. imagine this whatever this ancient society was. That, you know, they had different ways of communicating that we have and, you know, their their instruments are still sort of spotted here and there throughout the galaxy.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I really liked the Shepherds. Yes. And I love that. It, he, I mean, it looks such like a Star Trek alien, but it looked like he was CGI. His eyes, the dimensions of his head and stuff were sort of not yes. what you'd expect. So I thought that was a really good use of like modern effects to do just a Star Trek alien on the view screen yes agreed agreed the the what are they called the delib the planet
2: aliens yeah the delib look phenomenal yes they looked, the they looked so cool the makeup was amazing the costuming right. was amazing mm-hmm. man I
0: really I, like their hooded thing with yeah the, me too the intricate like woven stuff on the back yeah. that was really pretty
2: that was really really well done mm-hmm.
3: and i thought i thought it was a subtle touch how they kept showing to the mother and child and they just looked up in the sky at a comet, and I thought it was really cool. If you think about it, is they have no idea what just went on in space around yeah. it. That yeah, that was pretty wild. I mean, she just looks up, and then they walk away, and then it starts raining. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we know a religion will come up around that, or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: I don't yeah. Know. Now, so th- does that ship follow that one comet, or is that are they like assigned to that one comet, or do they do? That's other what stuff? it seems like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I it'd be, it seemed like he
1: said there's few in the galaxy. I don't know because mm-hmm. you would think that if that comet is traveling at sublight, then it's going to be forever till it gets somewhere exactly. else. You know, but right. that ship like it had warp engines on it, so I don't right. know if they sort of hang nearby and do other things and keep keep an eye on it, and they're just mm-hmm. ready to leap into action, or if they just putter around after this thing their entire lives. Yeah, right. I wonder about that. Too. I mean,
2: it sort of just showed up all of a sudden, and Enterprise didn't realize it was there. Right. So it couldn't have been too near. Yeah. You would, would have seen, yeah. you know,
1: so. Right. It was a cool ship though. Yeah. yeah. Well, it really was. <laughs>
0: it was or maybe it's cool. like they, they have a sensor thing around it that whenever someone hits uh-huh. the shields, they're like, Oh, Hey, we need to show up. Uh, good
3: point. That's kind of what I was thinking. too. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty good point. They could do that. I thought it was, it, it was definitely an, um, a star old school Star Trek feel because when, when um pike kind of dismissively says zealots when the guy was basically babbling on about mm-hmm. you know their spiritual life and he calls them zealots yeah and at the end it turns out that was Fox preordained to do that i love that kind of stuff you know uh uh-huh. that, that kind of thing because you know I, I guess like most of us i was raised in the church my late father was a preacher as a matter of fact and i remember being a kid always asking those questions about you know, my parent what do people say it's god's will and then they would say, "What's well, God's will when something good happens?" And then it's God's will when something bad happens. But sometimes it's not God's will when bad. When I, you <laughs> know, I, was, and I asked those questions as a kid. I was like, so, Dad, I'd say, "Dad, if somebody kills a bunch of people, is that God's will?" No, God didn't want that. But well, if I win the lottery, that's God's will. Yeah, that's God's will. And so I could never understand <laughs> what God's will was. And what was right. It, yeah. It, it, it's it still throws me, but I thought it was awesome when they showed that picture. And everybody's like hey, wait a minute, you're not trying to say, and that is kind of the essence of faith and religion, and even yeah. science, if you think about, you know, the future. Mm-hmm. Is it preordained? And I just love the the Spock is basically like, no, nah, you're not trying to tell me that I was preordained to do this. But mm-hmm. she goes, well, there's a the picture right there, dude. <laughs> right, <So. laughs> right. Yeah. I, I thought that the use
2: of a, a religious zealot of an entity that is basically worshipped by whoever these, uh, people are mm-hmm. and you know the whole concept of predestination was was so well used yeah. and was so cool as, as far as like a another sort of like throwback in yeah. in previous treks you know mm-hmm. with the prophets and ds9 yes. and, and things like that um i, I
1: absolutely love that and it tied in really well with pike's story Mm-hmm. You know, True. thinking about how his destiny is. He feels is preordained. Exactly. And then he starts to wonder by the end, like, is it, you know? Exactly. Uh, exactly. It better be. I hate to say that. It better be. <laughs> right. But I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you think Pike's not the kind of guy to, to just give up. You know, it exactly. hasn't happened yet. He's still wrestling right. with it. But exactly. now exactly. He he's look. I thought it was interesting that he knows these cadets names. And he what are they like? 10, 12 years old right now. Yeah. He's, he's looking them up. You know, yeah, um, trying to trying to come up with a plan, you know, it <laughs> seems yeah. like or see if there's an out or see if there's a way to save them. Exactly. Yeah, man. It was, I thought it was so smartly written.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, it was just a really great episode. I mean, and and they're doing exactly what they said. They're doing the episodic story of the week, but with the ongoing character arcs, you know, which sort of yeah. the best of both worlds where it's not the episode, but <laughs> where like whatever, everything that happens at the end of this episode, isn't back to square one by the next right. episode, like the characters are right. continuing on, but they're just going on different adventures. So you have that, that story with a beginning, middle and end every week, but you also get to You get to follow along with these characters, right? Yeah. Which is great. And,
2: yeah. And, and with 10 episodes, there's time for each one to get some shine, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about. And I hope we get an Ortega's episode soon. Cause I freaking love her and I can't wait to learn Jeez. more about her
0: hilarious yeah
2: god, she's great she's almost the 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 jet reno of this show but <laughs> but not you know like she's definitely her own character right i think I she has more it. screen time <laughs> <laughs> well so speak- that's because the actress wants to be I know. there and
3: <laughs> i know <laughs> so speaking of speaking of faith and, and as you know um as one thing that people who don't believe in a god or a deity or anything like that will say is you can take and this is true. And again, I asked this question many times in my life. You can basically say anything that happens is your God's will. Mm-hmm. That's in the yep. story. You can just say that. So I wondered if the aliens, the, the shepherds found out that Spock had gone and done his thing on the comet, would they be pissed off and destroy the ship? Or would they literally say that was the will? That was. They would have said that's the will. Him? Because it turned out right. Yeah. Mm. It, right. Right. Mm. Exactly. Interesting. Right. So that, yeah. I thought it was. I, I thought it was very interesting that they were zealous in that their religious belief was so firm that there was no negotiation. It was literally like, you mess with this and we're going to kill you and it's an act of war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from what they said, I don't know if there's a whole bunch of those shifts. It looks like they don't want to mess with those people because they said they were faster and more powerful. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. But then once uh, Mahanit got like its mission accomplished and they're just like, yeah. all right, no hard feelings. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> You have witnessed the miracle
2: of Mahanit. Guess you learned something today, Pike. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I oh, thought
3: that that's was pretty interesting. But I think yeah. you would, that's the kind of stuff you would have to deal with. I mean, we deal with this on the planet Earth, so you would definitely deal with it if you go out in the space. And sometimes you would just have to kind of say, okay, yeah, right, even if you don't believe that. And because your beliefs are not theirs. But I do think it was cool that, I mean, Pike was almost given a week a, when like you said the guy was like, Okay, you see the miracle basing pikes, like, Yeah, yeah, I got you, right? <laughs> Let's just move on because who's gonna argue? Yep, and, and can you argue? Yeah, yeah,
1: and I mean, whether you're religious or not, or whether you believe in faith and things or not, it's, it's, I like the idea just from a science f- fiction perspective that mm-hmm. they're sort of brushing up against things that they can't explain, mm-hmm. you know, right. that there's bigger things in the galaxy than, than, than they can you know rationalize you know Absolutely. so you're left with that little bit of awe and wonder at the end yeah. and it made a lot of sense to me that a device like this that you communicate with through singing of course would develop religion around it yeah. you know because mm-hmm. it's like a like like chance it's like mm-hmm. you know like praise you know what i mean mm-hmm. just talking to the computer
3: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that
2: so i have one little bit of information that i want to share okay and that uh is a back to the music and. Um, so after so first of all I forgot to set my alarm this morning so I could get up and watch it before I went to work. Oh. So I've only been able to see it one time after mm-hmm. work. Um but I was really curious about something so I messaged Nami. Okay. And <laughs> I did cuz she sent me a friend request on Facebook. Woo! Nice. I know, right? Um so and I don't know why but I'm super glad she did. <laughs> but um so I was just curious. So in the in the scene where they're at the, in the mess hall, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, Uhura hums and uh, Pike asks her about it. And she says, it's a, it's an ancient folk song from Kenya. Mm -hmm.
3: Um,
2: So I was curious. I I messaged Nami and I'm like, Hey, is this something that you composed or is this based on an actual Kenyan folk song? And it is. She composed, she composed the, uh, the response, the musical response that Mahanit, gave to uhura after she sang but the the song that uhura sang is based on a kenyan folk song called vamu vamba nice and she 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 sort of rewrote it a little bit to simplify it Mm -hmm. uh for the for uh uhura to learn uh i mean for for celia to learn quickly as they go into filming but it is actually based on a folk song that isn't that awesome freaking cool yeah that's
0: that's I, I like when they do that, Yeah, when they, Insane. when they say, Oh, it's based on this thing. And it's, that's actually a thing.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah and, and I looked up and I left my phone in the other room, but I, I looked up the lake uh, in Kenya that Pike said that he had visited oh. uh, just a few miles from where um, Uhuru grew up and yeah. it's a real lake. It's there's like mythology around it where it's supposed to have healing powers. It's a volcanic lake. And I'm not going to try to say the name of it from memory because I will butcher it, but, um, but look it up. It's, it's really interesting. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. And I like just you know what? After my entire life, I can say Uhura is from Kenya. I know right. You know, right. You know, her her parents were teachers at the Nairobi Institute. Yeah. Right. Like that's backstory we just never had before. And I think it's great that we have that now.
0: She has a brother.
1: Yeah. I'm so excited about that information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: I don't know why. It's ridiculous, but, but yeah, because we understood who Uhura was in the original series. Yeah. You know, and not having that knowledge didn't didn't cause us to not understand who she is now. Right. But it's so nice to have that context mm-hmm. to understand how she became who it was that we understood her to be. You know. Yeah.
1: And I loved in this that she joined Starfleet, but yeah. she wasn't sold like she wasn't a lifer yet. You know, and we got to watch right. her first landing party adventure and, and i think this as her first canonical landing party adventure i think it's great it's like a great perfect little star trek adventure and shows yeah. how she found out that she does have a place here and i love watching her in this because i think we've all been sort of that age where you're not a kid anymore but you don't feel like you're quite an adult yet and you mm-hmm. always sort of feel like an adult with the answers is going to be around sometime and then mm-hmm. one day everybody turns on and looks at you and you're like me you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm the, I'm the cadet. I'm just on the, like, no, you're the, you're the, you're the
3: specialist. Save our lives. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know. I did think it. yeah, I, I was kind of like, no pressure. They're basically saying, well, you're either going to get us killed or save our lives, or you, you, we're either going to live or die based on what you do or don't do down here. Well, right. no pressure.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. Another one of the parallels to older Treks for me was that this was an almost exact parallel with hoshi Mm. when when enterprise begins Mm -hmm. hoshi is a linguist she speaks uh, you know a hundred languages or whatever it is um and she is in starfleet but she's not really in starfleet you know she's not she's not the, the the one who's like um accustomed to going to space and she doesn't have her space legs and she's like gets terrified about it. uh, uh, You know, not that Uhura got terrified or anything like that, but Hoshi did Mm. was scared of the unknown and she Mm -hmm. wasn't sure that Starfleet was for her. And I loved that because I thought that was such a great character journey for Hoshi. Mm. I wish they had done a little bit more with her over four seasons. And I'm sure we're going to get more of Uhura than we got of Hoshi. Uh, because Linda Park is a phenomenal actress and I thought Hoshi was one of my favorite characters. They should have done more with her to develop her further. So I'm almost thinking that with that very similar sort of starting point that Ohura is going to have a journey that I wish Hoshi had gotten. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see it unfold. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
3: Same here. Uh, I have, two real quick general thoughts that come up from last week and this week real fast is, okay. what do y'all, we talked about real quick last, what do y'all think about the whole thing with the Gorn evidently been around for a long time? Mm. Oh. Yeah. yeah, We'll
1: see. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Exactly. I ex- it seems like they're setting the Gorn up for something bigger. Um, and I'm not I think liking that, that. Well, I think they have some wiggle room in the continuity. So I'll, yeah. I'm, I'm sort sure I'm taking a wait and see approach with it.
3: That's yeah, because I, I I can hear what they're going to say. They're going to say that on that whole episode with Cessus 3, nobody ever said that we'd never heard of the Gorn before. That's what they're probably going to say. Um, now, when the Metron mentioned that Kirk was going to go fight the Gorn, however, Kirk and Spock had a look as if, what? Never heard that before. Mm. But I can see them retconning that and them going, oh, no, the Gorn. You know what I mean? The expression yeah. could be, oh, no, them. The reason I say this, Akiva, what's his name? Goldman. Goldman. yeah. Yeah, since I can't post on Facebook, I couldn't post this last week, but I read a long interview with him where he said, we're going to try to hold to canon, except when it's a good story, in which case we don't care about canon. Yeah. And, <laughs> and based on our conversation on canon, and what he said was, basically, he knows that they're violating canon, but the Gorn are too good to not use. And he's pretty much saying they're the perfect, purely evil race, mm. which I don't agree with. But he said there'll be, they'll be a great foil where you don't like them and you don't sympathize with them and they're pure evil. So, so I guess have got to watch that. <laughs> so basically, he's saying that the
2: Gorn are going to be something playing yeah. out in the season. Mm. Yeah. They could, have not... used, they could have used anything. It didn't have to be Gorn. I agree. But again, we'll see what they do with it. I yeah. think that the details that they mentioned about the Gorn were cool. Yeah. You know,
1: I'll, I'll, that was from last week, so I'm not going to go into detail yeah. on that. But. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll say that I, I'm, I'm better with this. I think. I guess it, it depends how it plays out. But when, like when the Ferengi and Borg came back on Enterprise before we oh, were supposed yeah. to have met them, that yeah. really annoyed me. But in part because we'd yeah. gotten so much Ferengi and Borg episodes in the 24th right. century, and it was like this again. Yeah, but we have not been you know inundated with Gorn episodes. So we haven't got a real Gorn episode since the '60s, and they had a couple of small appearances since then. But if they have something cool and a cool story with a Gorn, then I'll give them some slack if they got something good. Yeah. And speaking of,
3: in Enterprise with the Mirror Universe episode, there was a Gorn. Yeah. Some people say, but that was the Mirror Universe. Yeah. Yeah, It was the Mirror Universe, and it
1: wasn't very (laughs) Gornish.
3: It sure wasn't. It was bad CGI too. Yeah. (laughs) But but uh, yeah, I like this episode. So you're right. Two for two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a few things coming up. We're going to be appearing on an upcoming episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Uh, talking about uh, the second season of Star Trek Picard. There, Yeah. <laughs> See if I have a stroke on- <laughs> in front of the microphone again.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. My doctor okay, advised yeah.
1: against it, but I'm going for it anyway.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, going to make a good. list of
1: 10 things I like about Picard before I even dark- talk yeah, about I'm it. Yeah, I'm going to make a list of nice things. to say. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and, Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. That's a good idea, Keith. <laughs> Definitely. And then Veronica, you've got a little thing you started on YouTube.
0: Yeah. Um, so far, um, probably by the time this goes out, just two videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been uh, watching uh, specifically TOS shows, specifically as they relate to um, Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And
1: Which one did you start
0: with? So I started with Operation Dash Dash Annihilate.
1: That's right. Dash, dash. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, and where, where, where
1: can people find that?
0: On the Earth Station Trek YouTube page. Yeah,
1: you can watch Veronica watching uh, TOS episodes for the first time that are related to Strange New Worlds and giving her take on them. Um,
2: To be
0: clear, you don't watch me watching it. No, you you just just watch her react to it. That's true.
2: true. Do you watch us watch you watch it? (laughs) No. Okay, that's good. That would be creepy. That
0: would be really weird and boring, I think. And
2: one last thing. We have, for those listening to this on Monday, May, whatever the day it is I don't even know. <laughs> we have a another live show coming up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we are going to be doing this coming Wednesday night at nine PM, and we're going to be talking about the season or series premieres of uh all the Star Trek shows. That's right, all of them. We're going to try maybe maybe that <laughs> in an equal amount of detail on every one <laughs> of them, but but just a general discussion about because since we just had the uh, series premiere of Strange New Worlds last week, we're mm-hmm. really jazzed up about, you know, kind of comparing it to you know, how it stacks up against the TNG launch and the yep. Enterprise launch. And, you know, so uh, we hope that you'll watch. You can watch it on our Facebook page live or on our YouTube channel live and interact with us. Drop a comment in the on the Facebook post or the YouTube, whatever it's called, and we'll answer your question or address your comment uh, in real time. And we're looking forward to it. So watch for that. Yep. All right. Alan, where can people find more of you? Um, Let's see. I have another podcast on this very network. It is called uh, Modern Musicology. And our next episode, we're going to be talking about the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, I also have a small publishing company called Cosmic Press. And you can find that at CosmicPress.com or find me on Facebook or Twitter.
3: And how about you, Keith? Twitter, Instagram, and usually Facebook. And, and <laughs> Under maintenance. Twitter, right now. <laughs> Instagram, and not Facebook. I'm going to go to
1: change.org and start a free Keith petition. <laughs> right on. Because my Facebook feed has been so empty lately. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I've had
2: time to read other people's posts. Right. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> totally teasing there, Keith.
0: Oh,
1: I know. Okay, good. <laughs> and how about us, Veronica?
0: Feltnerdy.com. Or... Monkeying around.
1: Yep. A Podcast <laughs> where we talk about the monkeys.
0: And uh, Keith will be on an upcoming episode.
1: <laughs> we track Keith down. Yep. Yeah. Hit him on there. I'll be on there. Yes. Yep. And um, do you have a closing for us this week?
0: Yes, but I'm not.
2: It's like me. she doesn't know you're going to ask for that. <laughs> I know. <No>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because I had a plan.
2: I know. Hold on. No.
0: Hold on. I had a plan.
2: The plan has worked so well.
0: Sometimes things go so wrong, you just have to laugh.
1: Hey, good job. Oh, Boom.
2: Yeah, we delivered. deliver. Laugh.
1: Yes. Right, didn't Solid landing. Oh,
2: good one. It was Are... the
0: ha- things go so wrong part that I couldn't remember.
2: Uh, because uh, everything please. went so
3: wrong.
0: Everything went so wrong. There you and go. We laughed. Yeah, you laughed. See, it works.
3: Completely forgot to talk about that laugh.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper.